Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man whose real name is Jayva Day, drunk by night. Here is the captain. Yes, thank you very much. It's good to be seen. Good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week in the garage, we are very excited to be drinking and featuring Seafoam IPA by the brilliant folks over at Jackie O's. Seafoam is an India pale ale with an ABV of 7%, featuring Citra, Comet, and Simcoe hops. And if you're looking for it at your trusted beer market, you can't miss it. It's the IPA in the beautiful blue can with a seahorse on the side. Garage grade, let's go four out of five bottle caps. And this beautiful beer was brought to us by these beautiful peeps right here. First up, cheers and thank you to Amber in Port Angeles, Washington. And a big shout out to Nicole in Lafayette, Colorado. Next up, Captain, we have Jane in Springville, Utah. And a big we like your jib to Mary in Bristol, Indiana. All right, here's a double cheers and a long distance one at that to Fiona and Freya and Kilco Kildare in Ireland. And last but certainly not least, we have Alexa in Essex, Missouri. Everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and contributed to this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, beer run. And if you need more True Crime Garage, check us out on the Stitcher app. All of the episodes are free. And check out our bonus show called Off the Record. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
The 2008 stock market crash took place on September 29th, when the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 777%. According to Wealthsimple.com, this was the largest single-day loss in Dow Jones history up to this point. The stock market crashed in 2008 because too many people had taken on loans they couldn't afford. Lenders relaxed their strict lending standards to extend credit to people who were less than qualified. Frankly, people with bad credit and little to no savings were offered loans they could not afford. Meanwhile, banks were repackaging these mortgages and selling them to investors on the secondary market. This and some questionable and in some cases illegal activities by some lenders, banks, and real estate firms drove up housing prices to levels that many could not otherwise afford. This did not happen overnight. These bad practices really started in the 90s and kept building and building. A crisis was virtually inevitable. Once the housing market slowed down in 2007, the housing bubble was ready to burst, and it did. The aftermath of this catastrophic financial event led to massive job losses and mortgage defaults. As investment firms collapsed and automakers stood on the verge of bankruptcy, the federal government stepped in and bailed out company after company. The buildup of bad debt resulted in a series of government bailouts, starting with Bear Stearns, followed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Then the investment firm Lehman Brothers collapsed. It was the largest bankruptcy filing in U.S. history up to that point. Later that month, the Federal Reserve announced yet another bailout. This time it was the insurance giant American International Group, AIG, which ran out of money playing the subprime mortgage game. Each bailout announcement affected the Dow Jones, sending it tumbling as markets responded to the financial instability. Global markets were swept up in the panic, causing global instability. The Labor Department reported big job losses across the board. This was the loss of hundreds of thousands of jobs, and the unemployment rate reached an alarming 10%. The nation's biggest automakers, known as the Big Three, were in big trouble and asked the government for help. The federal government took over the General Motors Company and Chrysler in March of 2009 and Ford Motor Company received a bailout. Faced with job losses and increasing mortgage payments, many lost their homes to foreclosure. The loss of home values combined with declining stock totaled nearly $100,000 on average per U.S. household at the peak. Between late 2007 and mid-2009, the economy lost nearly 8.7 million jobs and America stopped building homes. This created hardships across the board for American families. This is True Crime Garage.
started off this week discussing the stock market crash of 2008 as it does play a factor in this week's case. But our story starts off nearly 30 years earlier with the birth of a baby boy. Jeffrey Russell Hall was born November 21st, 1978. His mother is Joanne Patterson. I couldn't really find anything about his father, but Jeff Hall's childhood is not our main focus in the garage today. Our focus will be his adult life. In early adulthood, Jeff got married to Letitia Neal, and the young couple had two children, a boy and a girl. Their names are Joseph and Shirley. Joseph was born June 19, 2000. Shortly after the birth of Joseph and then Shirley, Jeff and Letitia split up. It wasn't long after the divorce that Letitia was pregnant, but not with another child by Jeff. No, Letitia was pregnant with twins by another father. The birth of the twins was successful. However, in 2003, the two still very young twins were hospitalized for failing to thrive. This resulted in Child Protective Services stepping in to investigate the whole family and living situation. Social workers, which by the way, may be the single most difficult job in America. So cheers to those who do that job and do it well. The social workers reported that Letitia, and I'm guessing, Captain, her new Bose home, had no electricity or gas. That seems to be a reoccurring theme here as of late on our show. We spoke a couple weeks ago on our Jalik Rainwalker episode about parents raising their own children plus some adopted children in a home with no electric, no gas, or outdoor plumbing only. But that was by choice from those parents, right? The home that we are talking about right now, the living situation that we're talking about right now, has those amenities. And I'm guessing that Letitia and her man's home, well, they just chose not to pay those bills or could not pay those bills. And the people over at the electric company, gas company, well, they shut that shit off. I'm thinking here that this home only had running water because the good people over at the water company in most areas won't turn it off, even if you don't pay. So social workers found poor living conditions for these two children, a filthy house with maggots growing, living, and even flourishing on dirty dishes throughout the home. Mm. Yummy. Yummy. Mm -hmm. The children were not well taken care of. In fact, they were malnourished. The kids were not clean either. They were covered in dirt and worse, covered in bruises. So we've got to take these children out of this bad living situation. So easy fix, right? When the biological parents are separated, we will just send the kids to live with and be raised by dad, Jeff Hall, right? Well, that's going to be wrong because daddy's got a drinking problem, right? Jeff Hall was on probation for driving under the influence. As a result, his two children were temporarily placed with their grandmother. And then about a year later, this would be 2004, by now Jeff must have cleaned up his act a bit because Jeff Hall was granted full custody of his two children, Joseph and Shirley. After Jeff's divorce to his first wife and the mother of his two kids, he was in a good relationship with a woman named Krista McCary. And the two did get married, and they would go on to have three children together. And it looks like they were all girls. So eventually, in the Hall household, 
We have Jeff and his second wife, Krista, his two children, Joseph and Shirley, from Jeff's first marriage, and then Jeff and Krista's three daughters. So a larger family of seven, all living under one roof. It's such a common theme in this country where parents aren't able to take care of their one kids of the first marriage and then then the second marriage they go on to have more kids and it's like you couldn't take care of the first set of kids is it the ones that can't that can't take care of the kids the most tend to have the most kids yeah (laughs) are you trying to have enough kids so that eventually in like a shameless situation they just raise themselves they raise each other yeah or maybe they're just (laughs) such a great tax write-off Well, Jeff earned a living and provided for his big family with his job, of course, and Jeff is a plumber. But then sometime in 2008, Jeff lost his job. Again, we should keep in mind for those not old enough to have experienced this as an adult, but the wicked triad of the stock market crash, the housing bubble bursting, and the massive job loss truly affected everyone in some shape or form, and of course, some more than others in this country. Right. As said in the trailer, America, in most areas anyway, stopped building houses, and a lot of people lost their jobs, and some companies were disappearing. Well, and he was a plumber, but I think his specialty was new builds. Right, and they really stopped building houses for years. Mm -hmm. And as said, some companies were disappearing. So even if... You know, you're laid off from your job, but then eventually your company that you worked for goes away. So that job disappears forever, for eternity. Mm -hmm. And it would take years for a lot of these jobs to return, years for the economy to recover. Right, but a plumber with new builds, once the new builds go away, you still have the trade of being a plumber, and people always need plumbers. Right. And and he lost his job and when he did, he was not finding work and it sounds like this continued for some time, a good deal of time. Upset by this and in what is just a display of bizarre ignorance, Jeff decided that minorities and Jews were to blame for the thinning job market and his inability to find a job. This is going off of the words of his mother. I cannot tell you what influenced him to to decide to join the local neo-Nazi movement, but he did. And her words are that it had to do with his inability to find a job. Well, here's this guy. Look, the economy sucks. Your job is gone. You can't find work, or or maybe you're not really looking for work, so then you start looking for somebody to blame. And, And then for whatever reason, he's in a situation where there's a local neo-Nazi group. Somehow he not only becomes a part of that, he becomes a a thriving member. Yeah, he becomes a bit of a leader in the local chapter. Now, we mentioned that the unemployment rate peaked at 10% nationwide, but in Jeff's area, in his local area, it at one point was as high as 15%. Those numbers are normally skewed down, so it could be as high as 20, 25%. For those that don't know, and despite really what I think some may think, the neo-Nazism is a global phenomenon, and it's not something that just is happening or happened in this country, mm-hmm. uh, but its representation is in other countries as well. In fact, in many countries. 
And of course, neo-Nazis seek to employ their ideology to promote hatred and attack minorities, and in some cases, create a fascist state. There's probably larger groups found in European countries than, than are found in the States. And as said, he would grow to prominence amongst these idiots, right? So he becomes a bit of a... <laughs> He's the leader of idiots. Right, right. He becomes a, a, a bit of a leader, a vocal guy, a vocal leader in his local chapter. This is for the National Socialist Movement, or the NSM. And I guess the NSM is the largest neo-Nazi group in in this country, maybe in most countries. I, I don't know enough about this, to be honest with you here, Captain. It's not something I've spent much time on in my lifetime reading about. When you see some of these meetings, they're pretty small. And it also looks like the average person that's attending, like it seems like there's some normal people or they appear to be appear normal. To be on and the outside. There's, there's other ones that look like that maybe their parents were cousins. Um, <laughs> it's 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 a unique group. I mean, it's it's like Walmart at at midnight. Uh oh, uh, <laughs> that's that that's that's rude to the to the Walmart people. <laughs> well. So he is involved in this group, and as said, he's a vocal leader. Now, one thing where he really, this really drops on the map where you start seeing this group not just being involved, because they're always involved in these like protests and things like that, but you see Jeff's heavy involvement. This starts with a rally near a day laborer site in Jeff's hometown of Riverside, California. This was in October of 2009. Now, at the rally, Jeff and the rest of his band of idiots wore World War II era Nazi uniforms. You, you, know, you don't have to use much of an imagination to picture right. one of those. Not only did he join this little hate club, but apparently these members like to play dress up as well. Well, think about how stupid these individuals are. We, we can't get jobs. We're, we're, we're lazy. That's, that's how I'm taking it. These guys are lazy. I know people have struggled through this time, but they're protesting day laborers, guys that would sit on the corner somewhere and hoping somebody would pick them up to take them to a construction site or whatever. Instead of protesting, maybe you should have been in that line waiting to get picked up to do some work that day. Well, Jeff would travel out of town and even out of state to join in on these rallies. I mean, there were there were at least two that he went to that were out of state. I'm suspecting it was was several more. And th look, this is really when I question someone's motivations, right? When somebody is complaining that, hey, I'm involved in this or this got me involved in this because I couldn't find work. If that's the genesis of this whole weird hate club that you're in. I don't understand why he's not spending more time out looking for work. It seems to be a lot of time involved with this, with his neo-Nazi group and then also spending money on money that he does not have right. on the, on playing dress up with his friends. Right. And basically it's because if I hang out with these losers, I'm the king of the losers. So it makes, makes my dick feel a little bit bigger. It's people giving him an excuse for this horrible behavior. 
In 2010, Jeff Hall ran for election against an incumbent for the Western Municipal Water District Board as a member of the National Socialist Movement. Jeff, to what I hope is to the astonishment of everyone listening, he received about a third of the vote. That's right, just a little more, and Jeff would have been elected, and the good people of Riverside, California would have had a hate-fueled racist sitting on the board of Municipal Water District. This, when people look at this from the outside looking in, especially people in other countries, they'll go, that makes sense because America is, quote-unquote, a racist country. That this guy managed to get a third of the vote. One problem, amongst other problems that we have here in the States, is that People and communities pay very little attention to local elections. Our voter turnout rate for local elections is is really despicable. Right. People don't pay attention. They don't know what's going on. They don't care, and therefore they don't vote. Now, when you have a guy as vocal as Jeff Hall who says, hey, I'm with this NSM, he's preaching to his NSM brothers and sisters and saying, hey, get out there and vote for me. Vote for me because then you're putting one of you on this board of water. And actually, the board of water, there is a decent amount of power that comes with that. I won't go too much into it because, I, one, I don't know a whole lot about it. But anybody that has seen one of my favorite shows, Goliath, season three, will understand that there is a decent amount of power and responsibility that comes with this position. He did not get elected. In March of 2011, Hall and his group of about two dozen white supremacists took to the streets in the affluent, primarily residential Claremont, Los Angeles County, sometimes called the, quote, City of Trees and PhDs. They had a screaming confrontation with counter-protesters of more than 200 immigrant rights activists who, de- who declared the group as racist. Dozens of officers from several police agencies were on hand to keep the peace. Now, during this whole three-year time period, remember Jeff divorced his first wife, the mother of two of his children, Joseph and Shirley, years ago, and the kids were taken from her. His first wife eventually moved out of the state of California and remarried, but in early 2011, she moved back to California And because she did such a great job as a mother the first time, she was attempting to regain custody of Shirley and Joseph. In all fairness, though, people make mistakes. People should be allowed the opportunity to turn their life around and get back involved with their children's lives. Agreed. Now, according to Jeff's mother, Joanne Patterson, she says that little Joseph was a difficult child. He was volatile and at times even violent. Yeah, it said he was kind of an odd duck from the beginning. Well, this all to the point that Joseph was kicked out of several different schools over the years. I saw one report that said he attended, I believe, seven different schools. I'm guessing he was kicked out of all of them. Wow. Uh, Some of the more notable offenses committed by Joseph, he attacked students. He attacked school staff. I believe he was accused or did stab another child with a pencil. And he was even, um, 
expelled for choking a teacher with a phone cord. Mm. So this is a very violent little child. Yeah, it's the chicken or the egg, though, because he was also, I guess, violently disciplined by his father. He was abused is is the way that I, I see this. And I don't mean to argue that point, but I'm just saying from everything that I read, it wasn't a situation where dad gets drunk and mad and just starts punching everybody. It seems to me like this situation was kid gets in trouble dad takes the pu- takes the punishment too far the kid experienced in it's his still abuse yeah in his 10 years of life up to this point the kid experienced 20 times that child protective services were called on his parents and they did not remove the child from the house maybe they didn't find anything wrong going on but usually where there's smoke there's fire and that's yeah. that's 20 calls and the other thing too a lot of his his behavior and and the the problems that that Joseph has a lot of this stems from something we talked about a few weeks ago with Jalik Rainwalker's case it's a very similar situation during the pregnancy with Joseph mommy and daddy were drinking and using drugs you know mom was using smack and drinking alcohol all the time and I understand she's the one carrying the baby. Dad's just as much to blame. He was using drugs and drinking as well during that pregnancy. So they had a real problem with Joseph controlling his behavior. And then it sounds like, as the captain pointed out, a real real problem with Jeff controlling his behavior as well. The difficult thing with Joseph, though, is the real problem is not just controlling his actions. But it also seems like the understanding of consequences of his actions. His grandmother said that that Joseph doesn't understand cause and effect. And I think that this statement here, Captain, is a bit more complicated than just the way it sounds on the surface. So Joseph having the inability to comprehend the consequences of his actions goes beyond just his failure to understand that he does something bad, he will be held accountable. And there will be a punishment for his bad behavior. But also, it's his failure to recognize and be able to understand that his actions also have lasting effects and consequences on others as well. Meaning he doesn't understand that if he violently attacks someone, it's not just Joseph acting out. It's not just Joseph getting that anger and aggression out of his system. It is him physically hurting and causing harm to someone or something. His violence can have a real impact, can cause real trauma, and can have lasting hurt or damage, or even permanent damage or destruction. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. 
It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself 
to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, me mateys. Cheers to you, Captain. Cheers to all the people in the back. Did you have fun in Jamaica? I did. Jamaica had fun because I was there. Well, it's, we're <laughs> all glad that you're back. I'm, I'm glad to be back. All right, Captain. Let's get back at it. We are now at April of 2011, and Jeff's little dress-up hate club, well, they're getting some media attention. On Saturday, April 30th, a reporter was on location at Jeff Hall's home. This was for the purpose of witnessing one of their meetings. This was a typical Saturday meeting. I don't know if they were hosted every other Saturday. It's my understanding it wasn't every Saturday. Right. But they called this their Saturday meeting. Hosted by Jeff at his home, at his house. And at this meeting, his wife and children are present. There is some video footage of small portions of this meeting that are available. It does not appear that the children were participating in the meeting. They were simply there and can be seen running in and out of the house. It's more more like a family barbecue. So they might not have been participating in the conversations being had during the meetings. But when reporters talk to his mother about how these meetings went down. She said, look, these were, these seem like family barbecues where people are happy to see each other, having some drinks, grilling out food and, and kids would be running around playing. Yes, that is a part of it. But I, w- I want to be clear. There is some formalities to these, to these barbecues. They, they are official meetings and yes. you can see video footage of, individuals taking turns standing at the front of the room addressing the rest of the group who are sitting in rows mm-hmm. uh, hanging on every word of the person giving their speech at the time. Well, and, and I want to be clear, though, too, they're, they're not forcing the 10-year-old to sit down and listen to every word, but those kids are in that area, so well, they're going to hear all those words. They're right, gonna, that's what I mean. They're going to hear all this hate speech. You can see the children in the video footage that I saw. You can see them running in and out of the house, repeatedly opening and closing the sliding right. glass door to access the backyard and then to come back in from time to time. So you're exactly right. They are hearing this, and it looks like most of the meeting portion was held in Jeff's living room, and 
Following a round of hate speech, they would finish off the get-together with a cookout and then oftentimes games as well. The reporter interviewed Jeff and other members of the group and even spoke with little 10-year-old Joseph who showed off a leather belt bearing a silver insignia of the Nazi SS that his father gave to him. The article would run in the New York Times in May of 2011. The title was White Supremacist Immigrant Rights Activists Face Off in Claremont. This would be Jeff Hall's last NSM meeting. You say it's called a NSM? National Socialist Movement. Not smart men. Right. Or no, st- <laughs> this is my favorite, no stiff members. Well, in all fairness, there were females members as well. That's why the members couldn't have stiff members. At 4.02 a.m. May 1st, 2011, 26-year-old Krista McCary calls 911. Yelling into the phone, she explains that her husband has been shot. She's reporting her husband, 32-year-old Jeff Hall, has been shot in the head. There is some audio available online. I've only managed to hear a clip of it, so not the full audio file. But you can hear Krista yelling, and you can also hear what sounds like children crying in the background. She says that her husband has been shot, and the shooter was her son, Joseph. When asked by the operator, how old is your son, Krista says 10. And the operator clearly surprised by the answer or maybe even to the point of believing they did not hear the woman correctly says, again, what age is your son? And Krista says 10. Now, if I could, Captain, I'd like to read for you and everyone else a police report filed with the County of Riverside, Supreme Court of California. This was filed May 17th, 2011, and I think this best describes what the police findings were regarding this homicide. All right. Now, mind you, this is an official document filed with the court, so it does get a little repetitive as you must use names as much as possible to make it super clear who is doing or saying what. Well, I think me and the listeners are all used to you being repetitive. On May 1st, 2011, Riverside PD was dispatched to, and the address is redacted, in the city of Riverside, California. Upon arrival, Jeffrey Hall was found deceased on the couch with a gunshot wound to the left side of his head. There were five children, ages 10, 9, 7, 3, and 2 months old, in the residence along with their mother, Krista McCary. Those subjects were removed from the residence and transported to the Magnolia Police Station for interviews. Detective Roberta Hopewell conducted interviews with four of the five children. Obviously, the two-month-old was not interviewed. During the interviews, three of the four children knew where Krista and Jeffrey kept their gun, and the youngest, name redacted, three years old, knew the gun was in the house. Okay, so before we we move on from that, Captain, let's clear that up. What they're saying is there's five children in the home. The one's just a baby. We We can't interview the baby. But of the four kids that we did interview, three of them knew exactly where the gun was that was used to kill Jeff Hall, right. located in the home where the parents hid it. And the youngest of these four 
did not know exactly where it was, but knew that there was a gun present in the house. Mm-hmm. So it's no secret that there are firearms in the house and these children know how to, some of them know how to access this firearm. The oldest child, which is Joseph, admitted during the interview that he was tired of his dad hitting him and his mom. Now, he calls his stepmom mom, just to be clear. He's known her for for years, and Krista really is the closest thing he has to, to a mother. She's the acting mother. Joseph said that he thought his dad was cheating on his mom and thought he might have to choose which person he would live with. Joseph told Detective Hopewell he knew his mom and dad had a gun and knew where they kept it. Joseph said he went into his mom and dad's closet, got the gun, which is a Rossi 357 revolver, from a low shelf in the closet. Joseph said it was right there on the shelf. Joseph told Detective Hopewell that he went downstairs with the gun, pulled the hammer back, aimed the gun at his dad's ear, while he was asleep and shot him. Joseph said he went upstairs and hid the gun under his bed. That is where the responding officers did find the gun when they arrived at the house. Detective Hopewell asked Shirley, nine years old, about the guns that were in the house. Shirley described the gun as small and black. She said mom keeps it on the shelf behind the jewelry box. She said that all the kids knew where mom kept the gun. Shirley said mom had a small gun and dad had a big one. There was also a rifle that was found in that same closet. Shirley said all the guns were kept in the closet. She said that she had been target practicing with mom and dad, but was told not to touch the guns. Detective Hopewell talked to, now the name is redacted. I don't know the name of this child, but it's the seven-year-old daughter who said she knew mom had a gun in the house and dad had a gun. She said mom kept the gun in her closet where the clothes, jewelry, and other important stuff are. She described the gun as black and silver. She described the gun sitting on a low shelf. And this little girl put her hand up during the interview to about the level of her forehead and said that that is how high the shelf was. So this is a low shelf in the closet. The girl said that dad had a big gun, obviously describing the rifle, that she saw him shoot at target practice and that he keeps it in the closet. Continuing on, page two, the residence at, again, address redacted, was filthy. There was dirty clothing on the floors everywhere. You couldn't walk through the upstairs rooms without stepping on clothing on the floor. The bedrooms smelled like urine. The bedroom mattresses, pillows, and blankets were stained and soiled. The floors were dirty and didn't appear to have been vacuumed in a long time. The bathrooms upstairs were also filthy. Officers located the 357 Magnum revolver under the bed in Joseph's room. Officers also located an empty holster on the described lower shelf in the closet of the master bedroom. A bolt-action rifle was also found in a locked case on a higher shelf in the closet. There were several edged weapons in the closet of the master bedroom that were also accessible to the children. Knives, bladed weapons, that sort of thing. 
The downstairs was very dirty. Empty beer bottles were in the area. And National Socialist Movement flag and California Republic flag were hanging in the living room. A 22 caliber rifle was located in the garage leaning against a wall accessible to the children. The rifle was unloaded. There was an unlocked cabinet in the garage with ammunition approximately 10 feet from the rifle. The cabinet contained 22 caliber long rifle ammunition as well as several edged weapons that were accessible to the children. This detective goes on to state, I interviewed Krista about any abuse in the house against the children. Krista said Jeffrey has been violent with Joseph and herself. Krista said Jeffrey kicks, hits, and yells at Joseph more than the other children. Krista said that Jeffrey did these things to punish Joseph. Krista said Joseph would get punished for being too loud or getting in Jeffrey's way. He's kids getting punished for, for pretty small infractions. Right. Krista said Jeffrey would get out of control when he punished Joseph, including punching and kicking him several times in the back. Krista said Joseph would get punished on a daily basis, but not always to the extreme punching and kicking. Krista said Jeffrey would also punish the girls, but not like he would punish Joseph. Krista said the girls would get yelled at, pushed and spanked by Jeffrey for their punishment. The detective says, I interviewed Krista about the weapons that were in the house. Krista said there were two guns and she knew that they were registered to Jeffrey. The officer says they were not registered to, there was no registration located. So they weren't registered to anybody? That's what it sounds like, or at least based off of six days of investigation, that's what they came up with. I don't know what they found after this was filed. Krista said there was a rifle that was kept somewhere in the closet, and they also had a black revolver in a holster. The black revolver is the one found under Joseph Joseph's bed used to kill his father. Krista said the revolver was located on the lower shelf in the closet, and she admitted that the revolver was on a low shelf where the kids had access to it. Krista said that Jeffrey kept it there so he had access to it. Krista said that she did not think the children knew where the gun was kept. Obviously, we've interviewed four of the five children. Mm-hmm. And had the the youngest child been old enough, she would have known where the gun was as well, right? Because three out of the four know exactly where it is, and, and the fourth child knows that it's in the house somewhere. Well, this is laziness upon your responsibilities. And I, I want to go back to one of the things that you said is when you see the reports, there's cameras inside their home. It doesn't seem a mess to me or I dir- agree. dirty at all. I mean, the, what you described, that's abuse to have your kids sleeping on piss-filled beds for your house to be that dirty. That's abuse. That is laziness of your responsibilities. So if you're not even willing to clean up your or help your kids clean up their bedrooms, are you going to really know if the your guns are secured and away from your children? Well, but what I see here, Captain, is no attempt to secure the guns. It's not like they, oh, we forgot and this happened. It, right. it just appears that they, there's no attempt to really, the most that they're doing to keep these guns from the kids is to tell the kids, don't touch the gun. 
Yeah, <laughs> but it's just so weird to me because, and again, I'm not the reporter, but the house doesn't look dirty. So the fact that the upstairs is just a disaster area, right? But you have to believe it. I mean, it's it's a official report, but it's very possible they go, oh well, we have some. A news reporter's coming over. We got to clean the downstairs real quick. And that's what I think happened. And I agree with you. That was what jumped off the page to me immediately. I'm like, wait a second. I just watched video footage. Now, mind you, it's not, they're not going around and looking in every crack and crevice of the house. It's like two rooms. It's two rooms that you see. And you're getting really a, you know, eye level view of the living room and maybe portions of the kitchen at times. But. That's what I thought, too. I'm like, wait a second. This this report, what they're reporting here in this court report is from roughly about 12 or less than 12 hours later from what was videotaped right. on the day before. And I'm like, that house didn't look dirty to me. And it, to be honest with you, it looked fairly clean, the the small portions I could see. But you're right. The, the report, as it reads, is clearly specifically talking about the upstairs of the house, which is not visible in any part of the video footage that I saw. Yeah. So we go on about, we're talking about the inability or the, the lack of caring to secure these guns away from the children. It sounds like, you know, old Jeff wants to have at least this handgun accessible to him at the quick. So in that thought, he's not gone a step further to have it available to him, but not to the children or anyone else. And the detective does get Krista to admit on the record. It says right here, Krista admitted the closet door does not have a lock on it. So they don't even have the ability to lock the closet door to keep these guns from the children. To which, after that statement, the detective says, I advised her that there was so much junk and clothes on the floor that I did not think the closet door could shut. Krista just acted surprised that the children knew about the gun. Krista said that Jeffrey did bring the gun out occasionally and put it on the nightstand for protection. Krista said Jeffrey took Joseph target shooting when they went to a border trip. So Joseph knew how to shoot guns. The detective goes on to state that the conditions of the, he says apartment, which seems confusing to me because it very much it's always described everywhere else as a house and it looks like a house to me. Yeah. I thought you can see the outside of the house during the report as well. Yeah. I don't know if maybe it was a duplex or, but, but it looks, it's a house, right? We can agree on that. Or maybe they're renting the house. So that's where the term apartment. I don't know. The detective says that the conditions were filthy and not sanitary for the four children and infant to live in. The residence was also unsafe with loaded weapons as well as edged weapons readily accessible to all of the children. There appeared to be some abuse of the children by Jeffrey, according to Krista, although there were no bruises found at the time of these interviews. There have been numerous contacts to this family by Child Protective Services, but most of the allegations were unfounded due to a bitter child custody dispute over Joseph and Shirley uh, by Jeffrey's ex-wife. That is the official report that was filed for the court system. Right. So we have this 10-year-old that doesn't seem to understand a great deal about cause and effect. It seems also like he's been abused by both sets of parents. 
and he's been in situations where the situation becomes abusive, being dirty or pee-filled beds. And, and then his dad becomes the leader of losers, and he's constantly sp probably speaking hate speak plus speaking about violence towards mm -hmm. other people. Yeah. And it's, I mean, look, it's, uh, we talked about the stock market crash and all of the, the bad practices and misdealings that were going on behind the scenes that really led to that, where you see something that, Hey, this is inevitable. There is going to be something bad that will come of this. That's the same thing with Joseph. He's born with behavior issues and disabilities because mom was using and drinking during the pregnancy. He's a victim day one on this planet, on the big blue marble. And then he's raised by a guy that can't control his actions, right? right. You're, trying to, you're trying to teach this kid to learn about consequences, learn cause and effect, learn to behave, learn to control your actions. But yet the, the father in the household, every time he gets mad or sees something or hears something he doesn't like, it's a smack or it's a whack or it's a yell. It's the father using violence to solve his problems does not teach the child to do anything different. Right. It's a very lazy way of trying to discipline a child. And on top of that, you have, again, these children are born with these lazy parents and then the parents continue to have more children it's like you're you're too lazy to one take care of yourself, let alone take it, care of a child that you brought into this earth, and now you're going to have five of them to take care of. It's ridiculous. And you you also have a man who is preaching that there are masses of people out in this world that are lesser than you, that are not equal to you. To a ten year old, does he even identify that what that means? Does, what is his understanding of all this hate speak that's going on? And look, when the camera was on, it I mean, it, it didn't sound super crazy, super violent stuff that they were preaching. Right. But who knows, once that camera was off, what kind of talk was going on? Was this man screaming about genocide? Right, right. But these were, <laughs> let's not get it twisted. What they were saying was uncomfortable to hear. If I heard that in public, I'd be the first one to say, you need to shut your mouth. You don't know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Uncomfortable to hear. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Ex what I'm saying is in their meetings, what they're talking about, is it's still hate speak. They might not be saying, we're going to go around killing no, everybody. Agreed. Yeah, 100. Yeah, I'm, I'm not confused about that. Right. What I'm saying is it's speak that I wouldn't stand for whether it's in somebody else's house or in public but yeah i'm wondering how far does it go when the cameras aren't there i mean we have we have a lot of things going on and and again we're getting the perspective of a 10 year old but he's saying some pretty scary things to the detectives when he's being interviewed th th look this this statement by joseph is terrifying he's told police that a few days before the shooting his father Jeff threatened to remove all of the smoke detectors in the home and set the house on fire while the family is sleeping. Right. That's horrifying. If that really happened, that is a horrifying thing for a child to hear. And then let's 
times that by 10 because it's your own father saying that to you or to your family. This is this child is telling police and detectives that he is being hit and kicked by this man. And he's also witnessing his mother, who technically is his stepmother, but right, right. It, to him, it's his mother being abused by this man as well. Hit. And he even describes it a few days before he shoots his father that that Jeff threw a glass or, or a beer bottle or something of that nature at Krista, cutting her on her face. And I find it interesting that in that report, he says he kind of feels like there is a divorce. It's going to, there's going to be a split up that's going to happen between mom and dad. He's going to have to go choose who he lives with. You almost wonder he's old enough to know and understand that Krista is not his biological mother. That maybe he won't get a choice. He'll be stuck with this piece of shit loser. The guy that he's scared of. He's afraid of his father. His father was dealt a good hand and his, and his father pissed it all away and was lazy and didn't work hard and then wants to point the finger at everybody and wants to blame everybody and other cultures and other religion and people of other colors are all to blame but himself. He's not, he's blaming everybody but himself and this weak minded piece of shit then takes it out on children and his wife that shows you how big of a loser this guy was. Of course. If and he's, it, and if he's blaming masses of people for his failures. For his failures yeah. Of course he's blaming his own family behind closed doors for those failures as well or for his own unhappiness. Yeah. And he strikes out and lashes out at them like a, like a like a child would, like a like a like a infant throw or a toddler throwing a temper tantrum. That just shows that all their the, their hate speech and all their rhetoric is nonsense. I mean, these people that go, well, we just want to protect the white race. You don't want to protect the white race. You don't even want to protect your own children. They're sleeping in pee-filled beds. You're protecting your children, you massive pile of shit. Of course, Joseph was arrested. He was taken to a juvenile juvenile hall. The other four children were taken into protective custody. This is because Krista was later arrested and charged with criminal storage of firearms and child neglect. Look, I'm for people owning guns, but the most important part of owning firearms is being a responsible owner of firearms and understanding that you, you are responsible for that gun at all times. Right. No matter where it is, no matter where you are, you are the one that needs to conceal that and keep it locked away from a child. This this boy, regardless of his problems, even regardless of the abuse that's going on, let's set that all aside, but this kid knew where this gun was. And when he talks to police, he clearly, you can blame this on his age, you can blame this on his disability, you can blame it on everything... It, under the sun. But when he's talking to detectives, he's saying things that are clear that he does not understand the consequences of putting that gun and shooting his father behind the left ear at zero range at near zero range. He shot this man, right? He says to detectives, I just wanted to, I just thought I would teach him a lesson. I just thought that I, I would teach my father how it feels to be hurt. And maybe he would learn something from this and we could be friends again. 
He also asked the detective, how many lives does a person get? He, in in some other questioning, he says to, says about his father, I I hope we can be friends again uh, if he's not dead. He doesn't understand what he did or what's going on. And, and guns and ammunition readily available to to a child of that age, very, very dangerous. Yeah, partly that's disability, but also that's partly his age. The, well, Ten. Yeah, but but also the lack of responsibility that his parents took upon themselves. It's just like if you saw a 10-year-old that didn't know how to ride a bike, you don't blame the 10-year-old for not knowing how to ride a bike. The parents never took the time to try to teach the child. So the fact that this kid never had maybe never had a conversation on a, on life and reality and anything it's, right it's but this is a sad. whole different story maybe not even a story at all if they would have bothered to just lock up the guns now joanne patterson jeff hall's mother and joseph's grandmother she was given temporary custody of the other four children on a interview that she did with 60 minutes she said that she was not surprised that Joseph killed his father, but she expected it would not have happened until her grandson was much older. On January 14th, 2013, Joseph Hall, despite his age at the time of the killing, was found to be responsible for Jeff Hall's death. Joseph was sentenced to a juvenile detention facility until he reaches the age of 23. He is eligible for parole at the age of 20. Joseph turned 20 years old in June of this year. So then again, it becomes the conversation of chicken or the egg. And as far as 10-year-olds or or I guess young children committing uh, violence against their parents that would end in death, there's not that many cases. It seems like there's multiple reports that I've seen where it's like nine, 10 year olds since 1980. And then I've seen also reports where it's like, this happens roughly once a year. But I thought something that was kind of telling from the grandmother was that she suspected that her grandson would eventually kill his father. It just would happen later in life. Yeah. I mean, so let's, let's analyze that for a second. I, I take her statement to mean possibly a couple of things. Maybe it's her opinion that this boy, Joseph, was was violent and misbehaved and misunderstood the world from day one, and it never changed. And it never changed when he was five, when he was seven, when he was 10 years old. It never changed, and he was violent enough that, that she believed you know, it's difficult when you analyze her statement because you go, does does that mean she believed he would kill someone or or specifically kill his father right. at some point right. in his life? You also have to wonder, is she deflating the blame that, that you could put on the victim here? And that's what's very difficult in the telling of this story. And even when you hear interviews by the family of Joseph of Jeffrey Hall and Joseph Hall, you have a situation where, look, the victim is not likable. The the victim is is talking about some pretty disgusting and disgraceful things and teaching them to his children, likely. 
definitely teaching them to not only his children but other children and and it's hard because you don't want to victim blame somebody and again the problem with death in this case is this racist bastard you can't write his wrongs either because he's dead so there's there's no change in him now yeah but then on the on the flip side of things would he have gotten worse and would he have made this small group of small-minded individuals would he have made them stronger and would they have caused harm and would it have gone from not just protesting and hate speech to actually criminal activities against other people and you wonder if it's just a better world now because he's not here well it's exactly the same thing that we talked about a few weeks ago when we were talking about the 1995 article written by criminologist john delulio where he's discussing look when you raise children in a in a terrible environment that is filled with with hate or neglect or or violence this is what you're teaching them to become right They're, they 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 fill they become one of those three things where they either neglect their own children or they grow up to become violent and you start to see that violence lashing out to others in the communities in the early ages of even teenage years and with with joseph again it's a difficult situation captain because his statements to police clearly show to me he does not understand the ramifications of his actions or anything that he did that night it doesn't it doesn't make it that he should not be punished right and I say that because what you're doing is you, you're creating a dangerous situation for the public if you continue to allow this child to to live in a community. You're, you're putting everybody else in danger because of that. And hopefully, hopefully he was young enough when he went into the system. And look, I'm going to get attacked for this because there's not a lot of people that like the system. I don't blame you. I'm not. I'm not cheering on the prison system here. But what I am hoping for in Joseph's case is that he can live in an environment that has clear rules that are black and white, that there are no gray area. There is no father smacking, punching, kicking him. There is no father overreacting and beating him up over something Mm -hmm. that this child is able to live in an environment where there are clear cut rules, that there's some form of education that he can get. And maybe he can live in an environment where he can be rehabilitated and he can move on from this at some point, because we are already at a point where parole is, is a discussion for this young man. Yeah. It's really interesting because when he asked the question, how many lives does my father get? It's very clear that the child doesn't understand what it, is to be human but clearly his father believing that there's some kind of superior race or that we're different it's clear that he didn't understand what it was to be human
for everything True Crime Garage. Check us out at truecrimegarage.com. Check out the store page. We have some new shirts. We have hats. We have beer koozies. Get all the good swag at truecrimegarage.com. All right, Captain, thank you to you. Really good stuff this week. We will be back next week with another Off the Record on Monday and another case for you on Tuesday. Join us back here in the garage. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. you are bpm's high sweat dripping body moving tongue panting you're working hard real hard and you're thirsty you need vitamins nutrients for peak performance and energy and your plants do too Aww. i mean just look at the little guy water soluble plant food from miracle grow is full of essential nutrients just a little scoop into your watering can and boom instant feeding and bigger more beautiful plants it's kind of like a sports drink for your plants you may have to suffer from heat but your plants do not 